Cameron Perry Fraser created the installation Large String Array in 2020 for the Jack Straw New Media Gallery. It takes up the entirety of the uh, south wall uh, there of the Jack Straw Gallery, which is 17 feet wide by 15 feet tall. It's about 1,200 strings strung from ceiling to floor, and that's going all the way across uh, that 17-foot length. Basically, those strings are holding down these two sets of bridges, like uh, the bridge on a cello. It's used to convert the energy to sound, like the body of an instrument, like a cello. But in this case, it's doing that to the wall. And there's basically these drivers. They're kind of like speakers, in a sense, but without the cones. And they drive the wall to sound. And so what you're really hearing isn't directional like a speaker would be, but you're really hearing the wall sing out um, with, the, with these bridges. One of the bridges is an activation bridge, and the other bridge is just there to amplify the sound, really. So I have this set up, this kind of uh, playback system in the gallery. And over that playback system, um, I've created a choral piece while in quarantine. Basically, I took really small sounds from my window and my front wall uh, of my apartment building. And I was just recording uh, the outside over the course of the pandemic, um, starting in March. Um, just regularly checking in each week at the same time and just sort of noting differences. Um, and sort of just charted all these things. And I wound up using the audio from it. And I turned that audio into a choral piece. So I have this really tiny signal that I would get from, you know, signals from miles away, just whatever was sort of hitting the house and amplifying those. And the way I created the choral sound was by using this process called convolution. And so I took the sound of a train and then I took different uh, voc vocal sounds like uh, vowel sounds, oohs and ahs, and, uh, and turned that train sound into sort of a chorus. And so that's what I played back over this, this playback system that I built of just lots and lots and lots of strings, too many strings. I live in Oakland. Um, I was living in Seattle, but because of the pandemic, um, I moved down with my partner because that just seemed appropriate. So it was kind of an unexpected move. I was finishing up my doctorate at the University of Washington. What was originally going to be a piece in the gallery, they're sort of in some ways about Jack Straw and I had a very different narrative arc. It just really became about my time sort of wading through the pandemic and uh, weathering the storm. I spoke with Cameron from the Jack Straw Studios about this project and his influences and inspirations, from 20th century composers to the street protests of 2020. You knew you were going to be putting something here in the gallery yeah. at Jack Straw, but the pandemic it sounds like changed the very nature of what your plan was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Completely derailed. <laughs> in relation to that as well, um, because you talk about in your description of the piece how 
the public demonstrations for this racial reckoning in our country also became a part of this soundscape, this tone poem. At what point did those sounds start to come in as you were thinking about and creating this piece? One thing is, as I was you know, collecting the sound, the, the BART train, for me, always, uh, I always think of Oscar Grant. So anytime I sort of spend some time with that audio, it's actually not the first time I've, I've spent time with that audio. But it makes me, yeah, it, it makes me think of Oscar Grant and what happened there at Fruitvale. Oscar Grant was killed by a BART security officer. Um, man, it's, it's been quite a while. I think it's been about 10 years. Yeah, by a, a BART security officer. He thought he was reaching for his taser, and he reached for a gun and, 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 and killed him. Um, and it was just uh, what it was one of the early sort of examples for me of um, sort of a change in tone of how we started talking about systemic racism and systemic violence that we sort of have baked into these systems. Um, at the end of May, I think it was the May 29th or 30th, um, when all of a sudden, you know, I was, I was I was finding myself going out to protests here in Oakland um, and coming back at night and and. I couldn't hear it with my own ears, but I could hear it with these recordings that I was making of, uh, you know, tear gas being shot three miles away, which to me was a little remarkable being able to hear something three miles away, but then also heartbreaking because um, because I just I know the, I, I know the 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 hurt and I know um, the rage uh, that all of us were feeling that were taking part in the protest at that time, so. That was a real turning point, and it was really an interesting fulcrum, sort of in the piece, a turning point uh, for us uh, nationally. Uh, in the piece, that's really reflected. It sort of starts out uh, for the first five minutes or so, sort of calm and reflective, and then it's, there's this moment where it goes into a recording of um, this moment in May uh, where, um, uh, you know, the the magnifying glass was put on that that problem, and then then this changed, and then, so then the rest of the piece, the next two movements are sort of um, me very much looking to sort of shape this narrative of the the sound that I was getting through the walls and turn it into something something beautiful and something reflective, uh, some, something that I could uh, sit with, you know, and and sort of let wash over me, um, and I was trying to create that. Uh, that atmosphere for uh, listeners who actually, you know, who come to see the, the piece. Another part of the piece that I'm really interested in is how you describe the installation as being an ensemble of 12 discrete voices. So I'm curious what you mean, what to you those 12 discrete voices are. Is it that each section there is a recording from a different day or is it a, di a different kind of personification or not that right. at all? For me, I was thinking of it as a, a choral piece. And I have 12 of these different electromagnetic drivers that resonate. And so I was giving each one of them a voice in the piece and sort of laid out, uh, you know, over that whole array of 17 feet. Yeah, it was meant to be literal. Along that, a similar idea of voices in the, the different sounds that you captured and that you're using within the piece, 
right? Some of them I, I recognize as the BART train, even just earlier here, hearing the BART train go past yeah, where yeah. you are. I was like, oh, I, I recognize that from the piece. <laughs> and sometimes, and I don't know if I was imagining this, but I was perceiving that I was maybe hearing voices from people outside. Sure. How does your voice as an artist also inform these different kind of voices and voicings? Where do you feel like your voice fits in in this? For me, it was um, curatorial. The early pandemic was such a weird time because everything was up in the air and you weren't able to really do anything or know how to engage with the world and everything was just sort of still and you were awaiting. And I was building a body of material that sort of reflected that. And then it became a question of how does this material become something else? What do you want it to become? And then that, again, is another curatorial decision. Well, I have this body of material. I want it to become, uh, you know, transfigured almost. It's been such a volatile and intense moment that to have it all bottled up like that really, I needed some catharsis sort of through this sound material. And so that's what I did. I changed it into something, what, what I felt sort of feels um, peaceful and, and, but also in a sense where you're emotionally, you're sort of also confronting your demons too. You're confronting what's going on. And so I wanted it to be sort of an interplay of those things. I didn't want it to be something where you shied away from what was happening, but a confrontation as well. You are an artist who works both in an auditory medium and in a visual medium as well. Have you always worked in both of these and have they always been interwoven or, or what's your journey been? I did my undergrad a long time ago in Pasadena, California, and I studied as a sculptor. So, you know, everything I do sort of has a physical manifestation as well as a sort of an auditory. Not everything I do, I, sh I shouldn't say that, but a, a lot of what I do. Um, I like the interplay. I like having the pushback of something that's real, the real physical systems interacting with each other, whether it's, you know, the pluck of a string or, you know, we can model these things, but really it is that what's interesting and for me is when the actual string, when the thing itself uh, becomes alive and starts moving, that's when that's when it picks up my ears. So I, I like building, you know, those, you know, things that make sound. I've, I've built all kinds of, from like a koto-like instruments, you know, from like long string instruments with um, like a fixed bridge in the middle to, you know, bells that play themselves, you know, the different sort of uh, autonomous sort of xylophone-like instruments too. To, yeah, string instruments that uh, are five foot long, but you could sort of have a, uh, basically it's like a big slide, like an automated slide instrument. But that is what I enjoy, is playing with those sort of sonorous materials and then trying to do something interesting with them. I think the, f the first sort of thing that made sound, I, I, I installed a, a speaker system into a, into a chair, and then I had these uh, tape decks that you could manually turn and control. And the whole chair came alive. What I remember is just vividly this sort of this weird, I'm playing with these weird knobs, but the chair would just vibrate. And then it felt like it was alive, you know, it just uh, sort of transformed. 
and so after that, I, all I did was really experiments in sound, whether it's, you know, doing weird things with big sheets and sort of electromagnets or um, just, you know, having plates sort of feedback on themselves. Yeah, uh, so really it was pretty instantaneous. I didn't really have a sculptural practice outside of it's just the, those two things were always sort of a twin curiosity. Because you began to create and conceive of this piece during this pandemic and while sheltering in place, how did you grapple with creating both an immersive and virtual experience? I, I don't... I'm scared I didn't consider how virtual the piece was going to be <laughs> when I made it. Um, that that I found out along the way. <laughs> <laughs> right as as we as it began to unfold of like how long we were going to be like this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's been interesting. You don't you don't quite. I didn't know exactly the things that were going to stick and the things that were going to be around forever are going to be Facebook Live events and this sort of thing. I thought, oh, I, I've built this thing. <laughs> that's the thing people are going to come see. Um, so that's been interesting. You know, I'm just I'm just grateful that this whole thing was still able to come together uh, and to and to to take form. I mean, that, that just seems to be a miracle to me. I first met your piece virtually and right. then experienced it in person, and I find those two experiences, though related, to be very very different. What for you, either as a either as the artist or, or somebody meeting the art, how would you describe those differences? Yeah. You know, one is just sort of the laptop listening you do sort of every day. You just sort of like, you know, you could stop the feed at any time. It's low commitment listening. And it sort of takes a form that you recognize as a choral piece. When you go to see it, it it demands something different from you as a as a as a viewer. For me, I I felt more patient, but I also would really feel aware of time passing too. It was a strange distance. It's sort of uh, there's a, there's a meditative state where I think it allows you enough time to become quiet, sort of in your head and in your thoughts. And I think that that um, is something that could never be done uh, via the internet. It's also physically the strings, um, it's, if it's a good day, they really become alive and it does become very much about the physicality of the strings and then, you know, colliding and sort of it, it ends up having another layer, a visceral layer um, where it, it's just, it's more active and your ears perk up and you sort of are, it keeps you on your toes and I like that part of it very much.
As the curator, as you described yourself, sort of of these sounds, is there any hope that you have for what someone who experiences your installation will go through or will take away or or will think of? Yeah, you know, a a sense of resolve and a sense of, um, and just, you know, uh, an inner strength. I think, you know, I know I'm looking for that right now. And um, and I think things like music and things like what I've created can it can do it. It does it for me. It's sort of, um, you have to take moments out where you, you know, you can kind of switch off your brain and just sort of be, just, you know, be, breathe and, and, uh, and be in your body. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Cameron Perry Frazier's installation Large String Array was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program with additional support from DX Arts. Podcast interviewer is Alyssa Keen. Producers are Levi Fuller and Joel Maddox. Engineer is Joel Maddox. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. To learn more about our arts programs and hear more podcasts, visit us at jackstraw.org. <laughs>